Welcome to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett. In this series, we want to demystify the worlds of finance and investment. We're going to be speaking with industry experts, strategists, fund managers, and financial planners. We'll hear from investment professionals who are at the top of their game, but also entrepreneurs who need investment, technology specialists disrupting the world of investment, and good old-fashioned active allocators of capital. What happens to that £5 a month or whatever you can afford that you donate to your favourite charity? Clearly, most of it is distributed to the cause itself, but some of it is invested. And in this episode of the podcast, we are asking why charities invest. I'm joined by Izzy Fraser from our charities team here at Waverton. We're going to attempt to answer that question. We also discuss the difference between managing a portfolio for charities and managing a portfolio for private clients, and the challenges that a lot of these charities are facing at the moment with events being cancelled and income drying up and how that affects the management of these portfolios. And then finally, we talk about ESG and how that compares to ethical investing, which a lot of these charity mandates adhere to. Izzy was a superb guest. I really hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, this is the Why Invest podcast. The information provided during this podcast does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security. Izzy Fraser, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Doug. Izzy, we're going to start by asking, why do charities invest? Well, In short, charities invest so that they can further their charitable aims. Um, But perhaps we should think about how investing really helps charities to do this. And I think before we begin to answer that part of the question, let's go back a step and look at why charities have surplus assets, which is a question that many people ask, and I find my friends and family asking me this as well. So surplus assets, what, what, what are surplus assets? Surplus assets are, well, they've got... So they've got liabilities um, and they'll have cash, investments, um, perhaps they'll have some property as well um, that they that they have to their name, essentially. Um, but in this case, let's perhaps think a little bit more about the cash that they might have in their bank account. Um, after all, charities exist to act um, and to act is to spend. So why the surplus? In one line, the surplus is there for a rainy day. Uh, but to expand a little on that, it's their reserves. So charities have reserves to help them to operate properly. And most or many charities intend or want to be around forever or as long as possible in order to further their cause. And while they have cash to cover their working capital, um, they have long-term reserves as well for a number of different reasons. And one of the reasons is uh, donations or grants drying up. Uh, leading to drops in income. And I think the, the London Marathon this year is a great example of that, whereby tens of millions of pounds in the charity sector were mm. lost. Um, and due to, obviously, the event not being able to be held, um, charities that were relying on that income no longer had it. And just to look back, let's look at London Marathon last year, £66 million was raised for the sector. So you can really see the gap uh, in funding that's sort of starting to emerge there. Second of all, You've got charities needing to pay away uh, more than their income. Um, And then you've also got charities wanting to take advantage of new opportunities, which is why they have their reserves there. So those are the sort of key reasons that a charity has reserves. Um, Maybe now we should take a step back 
and start thinking about why they invest. Well, let's think about why they invest. But just to pause, I mean, the charity sector this year must have been completely floored by not only the London Marathon uh, being cancelled, but by charitable uh, donations drying up as people's belts were squeezed. Had they therefore had to rely more on their investments as a result? Exactly. Some have. It depends to what extent they've seen their income dry up. And you have some that have more cash in the bank account than others. But in some cases, we've seen charities calling on their reserves. And that's great news because that's why their reserves are there, as we say. Obviously, with investing, if they're invested, comes the risk of the returns that they're getting at that point in time. And their investments might have dropped Um, at that particular point in time. But given that most charities have a long-term time horizon, a lot of them have been able to make money over the last few years through their investment portfolios and then call on it. Mm. Um, So it's it's really, this is the rainy day they've been looking for. And this is, um, you know, this is really, if they hadn't been investing it, they just had it sitting in cash, they wouldn't be able to call upon it. Is that correct? Exactly. Yes. And it means that they've... um, also, I think the key, the key part is that the reason it's been invested is to maintain the real value mm-hmm. of that cash. And perhaps we'll come on to that a little bit so later on. So let's stay on that. So the, this is um, the real value. So when you say real value, you're talking perhaps about inflation protection? Exactly. Why do charities invest to protect themselves against inflation? Well, you see, if you look at perhaps the fate of £10,000 deposited in a bank account 10 years ago, if we look at the inflation, that's the CPI figure that we're looking at here, that's consumer price index figure over 10 years, that's 21.3%. Whereas cash, if we look at the LIBOR rate, is 5.4% in sterling. So keeping cash for the long term can lead to negative returns in real terms for charities. And essentially, they've lost, in that scenario, about 16% of their spending power if it's left untouched in the bank account since 2010. So that's a real reason. But there's also income requirements, and that's another reason that charities invest. And these are income requirements from the charitable trust, as in what they need to pay out. Is that correct? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases, charities use their investment portfolios to generate sustainable and hopefully reliable income to support their activities, particularly if they've gone through funding cuts. Um, and by investing their cash, they can take their income either in the form of investment investment um, returns from a total return approach or purely through income yields. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, you see many educational establishments who are looking to fund scholarships and perhaps they have, if you think more of a balanced approach, they're targeting inflation plus 3% through their portfolio, they might take that 3%. So they've got the nice combination there of the inflation protection combined with some returns to fund their activities. And so have you seen recently um, charities having to, to go into capital um, to, fund their, their, um, uh, to fund their activities? Yes, the impact of COVID has meant that they have had to do that. And also we've seen, you know, income and yields from portfolios being having taken a hit this year. Um, therefore, they are having to tap into that capital in some cases. Um, and as it's probably worth mentioning that there's also some risks associated with uh, chasing yield producing portfolios or assets alone. Not only are current income levels quite low, so it can be difficult to rely on them, but an income only approach may reduce your investment opportunity and may therefore impact portfolio growth Mm. overall and the potential that that portfolio has. Income can also make pooled investment options less attractive, which for smaller charities in particular um, can sometimes be a little bit of a barrier. So a total return approach can be better. 
I see. So taking a step back, what are the sort of key considerations for charities when they're looking to invest? Whilst the impact of inflation has and continues to have a meaningful impact, uh, the decision to move from cash to investing is not a simple one for any charity. And it's important for charities to have, firstly, visibility of in and outflows. But whatever the visibility, the starting point for a charity has to be understanding the running costs, their true running costs, their future spending plans, and also their projected income. And the key questions that we try to encourage our charity clients um, to consider and start to think about when they're considering their investment journey for the first time, what are the organisations organizations running costs? What are their future spending plans? Um, have they got a projected income for the next one to three or five years? And think a little bit more as well about their reserves. So how long will these reserves uh, keep them afloat? And therefore, that leads them on to figure out how much they can therefore invest. But I think a key consideration once you've decided to make that decision to invest is probably risk. Mm -hmm. It's like devising a business plan, I guess. You have to go through um, various cash flow forecasts, work out where cash flow is coming in and cash is going out. How do they assess the risk of their investments? Well, there's a number of different ways that they can look at risk. Um, the primary way of looking at risk from the investment point of view is volatility. Um, but really, the, the main risk is the risk of losing money. Um, and as we all know too well, investments can go down as well as up. And we're constantly speaking to charities about that in the sector. Um, although we hope that over the long term, they will obviously have some strong returns for charities. But for understandable and important reasons, many charities are reasonably risk averse. Um, you've got a board of trustees that are investing on behalf of an organisation. So it's very different to the way that a mindset might work for an individual investing their own assets. Um, but then having a portfolio invested in a range of different asset class, classes can help to offset that volatility risk, which is the first form of risk that I touched on earlier. Um, and while the returns will not necessarily match those of equity markets um, when they're performing strongly, a multi-asset portfolio can be a little bit better for a charity because they should see smaller dips in periods where equity markets perform badly. And we've just seen a period of that in the last couple of months with the impact of COVID on financial markets. Obviously, markets are very volatile at the moment, but for charities to be able to have that little bit extra bit of protection um, helps put trustees' minds at ease, but also the public sector's minds at ease. Yeah, I see. So as a portfolio manager, what do you think the key differences are in managing a portfolio for a charity rather than managing a portfolio, let's say, for a, a traditional private client? There's a number of different key considerations for charity managing a charity's assets um, in comparison to perhaps a private client. The first is that it's an organisation. So the way that it's structured means that, as I said, there's a lot of different considerations and risks to take into account. For that reason, it tends to be that a charity seeks more of a, a balanced approach, as we call it. Um, but in addition to those considerations, there's also ethical risks um, or, or ethical restrictions that a charity might have. And that's to do with the charity aligning its investments with its values and its ethos. But in addition to that, you may have the income requirements that we touched on earlier, um, or they may have a specific restricted endowment, uh, which means that they can't tap into the original capital value of that endowment. However, they can take returns from the investments or perhaps the cash in the bank account, although the returns are very low at the moment. 
Um, so there's a number of different considerations there as to how much money they can take and when. Um, but also you tend to have charities calling on um, their investments on quite a regular basis. So perhaps they'll have a an annual income requirement or withdrawal requirement, I should say, because they might not just take it from the investment income. Um, and therefore, portfolio managers are working to understand how they can get that cash ready for them to withdraw um, and also ensure that the portfolio's performance is not compromised over the long term. I see. I think we'll come back to sort of um, ethical uh, restrictions. Um, what do you think, though, when you're going out and, and, and winning new business, what do you think um, is the sort of key uh, differentiator? Do you need a sort of knock the lights out service offering? Um, or do you think it's more about performance? Or is it somewhere between the two? Where do you think the sort of um, what really dis- um, distinguishes charity managers as, as good managers? Yeah, it's a good question. And there's obviously a few different charity managers out there. Um, I think the key thing is having a dedicated charities team. So a team who truly understands charities needs and requirements and what's going on in the sector. We have the Charity Commission's guidance is is changing from time to time. Charity- the Charity Commission is the regulatory body. Exactly. So that regulatory body is changing, you know, the way that charities feel that they can invest sometimes. They might be changing regulations around endowments, as has happened in the past. Um, so understanding what's going on in the sector, but those needs and requirements is really key into then understanding how you can get the most for your clients in their portfolios. So responsible investment it plays an enormous part or an increasingly important part in, in, in our lives at Waverton. Um, you know, there are now 2,300 signatories of the UN Principles of Responsible Investment. How do the principles of responsible investment apply to charities and the investment management of charity mandates? They're very important to, I would say, almost all charities. And as public expectations evolve, we see more and more charities asking about responsible investment. And obviously, we see more and more individuals asking about this too. But I think it's important also to realise that charities have been asking about this for a while. Responsible investment is quite a broad, big umbrella that encompasses a number of different things from ESG to ethical investment and divestment and impact investment. It's important to understand that charities have been investing ethically for decades. And what's the distinction between ESG and and ethical? So ESG is environmental social governance, and that's what it says on the tin. But those considerations around those factors are brought into an investment process, or they tend to be, through quantitative analysis of different issues. So it's about incorporating those different factors into investment decisions. So I see that as something a little bit more top level um, in an investment process. When it comes to ethical investment, we're more looking at the product level. While it sits under the RI umbrella or the responsible investment umbrella, it's about aligning an organisation or a charity in this case, aligning their investment portfolio with their values and their ethos. So a charity, for example, that has ethical investment requirements may restrict specific areas. Let's consider a health charity who may have may want to restrict alcohol and tobacco from their portfolio. And what will essentially happen there is that either if they have a bespoke portfolio, they will have a screen that is built into that. Or if they invest through a fund, they will be looking for a fund that more or less has an ethical investment screen that matches that. So screen being so you will exclude certain stocks from the portfolio. Exactly. A hard screen is a word, negative. That's right. So a negative screen um, where exclusions are made 
against specific revenue thresholds. I see. I see the difference. And therefore, on going back to ESG investments, if charities have been leading the way on this, what's the future for ESG investment? Do you think that this permeates all areas of investment management? And do you think in you know, 10 years' time, are we all going to adhere to some sort of ESG overlay to our investment process? It's obviously difficult to predict the future, but I, from what I sense, that's the way that things are going. And it will depend on the stance that each investment house wants to take um, within their investment process, particularly when it comes to the ESG side of things. But I think given that we've seen if, if companies want to perform well, they are likely to want to take into consideration those three different factors. So the environment, social factors, and also governance is a key uh, part of company management. Mm -hmm. Uh, Within certain charity mandates, do we take certain ethical stances on companies? We do not do it as an investment management house on behalf uh, of charities. So our process is that we work with charities to understand what they need and then we um, apply that to their portfolio. Is that typical? There are some houses that... um, do not invest in particular areas. For example, got some some investment firms that avoid uh, investing in oil, for example, or fossil fuels. But it's not typical. No, I wouldn't say. You do see some charities, and we have some charities that that are seeking to, to divest from fossil fuels, and we can obviously implement that. And the focus there is a little different to the ethical investment approach. While it's quite similar, the difference there is that they're looking to really damage the fossil fuel uh, industry by divesting. So the incentive is slightly different. And it's something that sort of came about in around 2010, an intervention that was led by US liberal arts colleges. And we've seen many educational establishments um, and also religious organisations joining in on this intervention. Isn't there a counter-argument to that, Dan? And maybe this is being contrary, but... A lot of these fossil fuel majors are going to be part of the change. And simply by divesting from them, are you going to have as much impact than by holding the shares and making a positive change as shareholders? It's an interesting argument. And you can look at it from two different ways. I think while many organisations continue to profit significantly from the oil and fossil fuel industry, Many organisations or investors, I should say, have decided to divest from from them. But you're absolutely right. Some of those um, companies that are focused on fossil fuels at the moment are also the biggest investors in renewables. But there's another argument, which I think you touched on, which is that as an investor, you can then have a vote um, and hopefully also bring about some change. So by being invested and engaged with that company, you are then you're in a better position in order to bring about some positive change within those companies. So there's a number of different ways to look at it. And it really comes down to what the organisation wants to do um, and their reputation. Because I think the danger is, I suppose, if, if too many um, you know, active managers are driven out of, out of these sectors, um, what happens if we leave, follow that through? Uh, the cost of capital, uh, or the, the there is a, a under allocation of capital to the sector. Their cost of capital goes up. Presumably, these become incredibly attractive investments for the likes of private equity who aren't beholden to such of high ESG standards. It, that's not a great outcome 
in terms of corporate governance, and it's not a great outcome in terms of making these these oil majors change their behaviour. Yeah, it comes down to what's driving the investor, really. And you mentioned private equity there. I don't know a huge amount about the private equity world, so I'm probably not best place to speak about it. Give but, it a go. Um, <laughs> ESG um, is a key consideration for, for many investors at the moment, but I think the the light really is on traditional investment firms rather than private equity firms. However, there's probably a bit of catching up to do. And eventually, I think that ESG light will probably be shone on them as well. And people will be asking more questions of them when it comes to ESG and responsible investment. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. So true. We should set up an ESG private equity fund, maybe. Yes. Thing to do. <laughs> Turning tact a bit, let's talk about impact investment. What's the definition of an impact investment? So impact investment is another thing that fits under the responsible investment umbrella that I referred to. Um, it's something else that many charities consider. Uh, generally, the term impact investment is used to describe specific investments which are selected for their positive impact and um, not just for their investment returns. So the focus here is really more on social or environmental returns, let's say, rather than financial returns. Um, so what would be an example of an impact uh, investment? You might see a organisation or an investor looking to invest in a community setup or entity which, while it may grow and it may have positive financial returns, it also is going to be giving back to the community. Perhaps they're looking to set up a recreation ground. Um, there might be an educational part to it. There may even be a religious spin on it, um, although that doesn't necessarily always sit under the impact umbrella. So that would be a, an example. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's different levels. You sometimes see renewables, which can be more of an, an impact investment as well. Mm-hmm. But the balance between financial returns and social returns can vary on impact investments. I see. Going back to Waverton, I know Waverton, we've recently launched a charity fund. Um, can I ask, what, what's the purpose of the charity fund at Waverton? So the charity fund is what we call a charity authorised investment fund. And that's a vehicle that exists just for charities um, and not-for-profit organisations. Registered well. with the Charity Commission and regulated by the Charity Commission, is that right? For registered UK charities, right, exactly. Okay. Um, and the reason for setting up that fund is because, well, the main reason is that it's more cost-efficient for charities to invest in. It allows us, therefore, to work with charities of all sizes. Investing in a segregated portfolio can be quite difficult if you have a smaller-sized investment portfolio. By pooling, essentially, those investments together, charities can get access to our global best investment ideas, but without having to have the significant investment up front. And do you have ethical screens on that? Yes, there's also an ethical screen applied. Um, The ethical screen has been created with the charity sector's interests in mind. Um, There are a variety of things that we see coming up in, in charities' ethical investment policies. We screen out controversial weapons, tobacco, adult entertainment and gambling against specific thresholds. So is a 10% threshold I see. Um, okay. on the majority of those those areas. So those are exclusions. And would it be suitable for a, a smaller charity client? Is that the target? Or could a larger charity you know, allocate to it as well? So it would certainly be um, accessible for a smaller charity client. The minimum investment is £10,000, but a larger charity client could also invest in it. And larger charity clients do sometimes choose to invest in charity funds. Um, We're not the only charity fund that exists in the sector. There are a variety of different ones. There are multi-asset funds. There are some that are more equity focused as well. So you have 
funds with different strategies. Um, but one of the reasons many charities choose to invest in a charity fund is the administrative ease that it offers. Um, so that's the way that the accounting works. And they just therefore have one holding uh, rather than a number of different holdings when they're accounting. Um, and they declare their investments and their reports and accounts. So it can make it a little bit more straightforward. It's also a little bit more cost efficient in some cases. Um, but the other benefit to it is that you get the charity specific tax ex exemptions within the fund. So charities don't pay stamp duty, for example. And then the difference between a segregated portfolio and the charity fund is also that the charity won't pay VAT on the annual management charge. And just taking a step back, and I suppose it's been six months since the lockdown, <clears throat> is the light at the end of the tunnel for some of these charity or for some of these charities? Um, have we started to see an increase in donations? Have the sort of redemptions um, from some of the bigger charity funds stopped? Is the light at the end of the tunnel? A difficult question to answer because obviously we don't quite know which direction we're all travelling in at the moment. As it, across the globe um, when it comes to COVID. But I'm hopeful, yes, there is light at the end of the tunnel. We've seen more and more charity um, fundraising activities pick up. You've seen probably that some sporting events, for example, have turned virtual. Um, and while they're not necessarily on the ground visible, the very fact that they're a bit more accessible because they're virtual, people don't have to come to that one particular place means that you have, in some cases, a few more people taking part um, I think also because we're seeing more people online, we're also seeing fundraising campaigns spreading quicker. Um, but we also need to take into consideration the impact that it's had on working environments. And it is, of course, difficult for all organisations, but charities in particular, when it comes to their volunteers and shops, for example. Um, we've seen retail. It's been hit really, really hard. Um, charity shops have been struck, of course, that's a big source of income for many charities. Um, and as we start to see the lockdown ease, we'll obviously hopefully see some retail start to pick up. Particularly, we might actually start to see some retail pick up in more regional areas, um, which is where a lot of these charity shops are. So there may be opportunities there, for example, too. Um, I'm hopeful that there's light at the end of the tunnel, but it's difficult to say when that will be at this stage. I think it's the perfect place to end. Izzy Fraser, thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> thank you, Doug. Thank you for listening to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, and our guest this week, Izzy Fraser. As usual, if you have any questions on any of the topics covered today, then do get in touch through our website at waverton.co.uk. Likewise, if you've enjoyed this podcast, then rate it and subscribe to it and tell your friends about it. 